Lord, I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. How you love me. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Let's get it. It goes as follows. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is God's word. Let's see what he has to say to us. Look, friends, I, um, when I was young, it was probably 1999, okay? I was young then. Nobody else was born yet. That's right. I was young then. I was six years old in 1999. And have you ever believed something and you found out that what you believed in was not really true? Yeah, like you believe in something and you find out that, hey, this thing that I believed in is not really a fact. And man, in 1999, I had my world shocked at that point. Look, I thought that when I lost a tooth, you know where I'm going with this, right? And I put that thing under my pillow that a fairy would fly into my bedroom at night and go under my pillow and take my tooth and deliver to me three quarters. So let's just stop for a second and think about how crazy that is, right? That we believed at one point that some weird fairy would fly into your bedroom at night when you lost a tooth. What's he doing with those teeth? Who knows? That's kind of weird. And he would take my teeth and then give me a couple of quarters. The, the problem was in 1999, friends, I had been hearing from some friends about what the tooth fairy gave them. And I came to the conclusion that my tooth fairy was cheap. <laughs> I was getting like three quarters, maybe four and I heard some. I had some friends getting a couple of dollars. Now, in 1999, a couple of dollars is like $20 these days. But I had my, these friends that were getting a couple of dollars, and I would come to the conclusion that my tooth fairy was cheap. So one or two things had to ha, was happening. Either my tooth fairy was broke, or I was a bad kid, and he just wasn't giving me good stuff, or I was eating too much candy, and I had cavities, and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, uh, were not worth much. So it was probably the last one. Yeah, you can ask my wife about that. My teeth are not the greatest now. So... I had this magical plan, right? I was going to stay up and see and catch this cheap tooth fairy, right? And see what the deal was. Was it because I got cavities? Was it because you're broke? Because I can give you a loan. Or is it because, you know, I'm not doing good in life at six years old? So I, I stayed up, <clears throat> and I faked like I was asleep. And, and, and about an hour after I went to sleep, my door cracked open, and it was about to happen. I was going to catch this son of a gun. And I had my eyes closed, and, you know, I did this whole, like, you know, the whole little peep thing, like, see if they're still standing there. And Denisa Kay was at my bed. <laughs> if you don't know, that's my mother's name. And so I closed my eyes and I acted like I was still asleep and she snuck a couple of quarters under that pillow and um, I came to the conclusion that night a couple of things. One, the tooth fairy is obviously not real. <laughs> Two, the tooth fairy wasn't broke. It was my mom that was broke. So it was a bad night for me. I was wondering why we were so broke and it was because my mom was a tooth fairy. So 
I come to the conclusion that night, though, friends, hear me out, that this thing in which I once believed in, all right, this thing in which I once believed in, I, ha I have now come to the conclusion that it was not real. And, and, and there's some things, friends, in my desire of preaching you the word, preaching you the truth, ministering you the word, is that you would know and hear the real truth, God's word. It's the only truth, friends. All other things you say, that's my truth, that's my facts, that's nonsense. The Bible is the living and active word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the truth. And so my desire to minister to you is to let you know what the truth is, but the fact is, is that there is a lie that is often weaved into the truth in our culture. And like I, like I found out the lie was that the tooth fairy is not real, I want to put on blast this lie tonight. And so you actually have some real truth to stand on. Because a lot of you would probably have believed this lie and at least heard of this lie. And so my goal is tonight is, is through this message is to put on blast this lie. And so you can see what the truth is. See the real truth of God's word. Now, if you was to ask people, God is blank. The majority of the time you would get a four-word, four-letter answer, God is love, right? You would say good? Yeah, I was good. I, I should have thought that. God is love. And, and, and on the surface, friends, that's not wrong. Later on in this letter, John even says that God is love. His very essence, his very nature is love. Yes, God is love. But the, the problem with that statement is how we conclude it. The problem with the statement that God is love is our inability to compare Scripture with Scripture. And the problem with saying that God is love is that we don't have a biblical knowledge to, to, to back up what that statement means. Yeah, God is love and his very nature, in essence, is love. But when we don't have a biblical knowledge, we might interpret it like if God is love, then he must send everybody to heaven. If God is love then he must always appreciate and care what I do no matter what I'm doing. If God is love, then he cannot hate. And friends, let me tell you, all three of those statements I just made are all absolutely and completely incorrect. And the problem is, the problem is, is we take one thing in Scripture and we like to seclude it from all other Scripture and we make it say what we want it to say. But the reality is, friends, is that we cannot do that. We have to see what Scripture says by what it says. And it, yes, it does say that God is love. But the reality is, is that God is love, but there is a love that God hates. There's a love that God loathes is the title of my sermon, if you've been waiting for that. Loathe meaning to hate, to be disgusted in. There is a love that God is disgusted in. And so if you have this misconception of what love is or that God is love, you might be thinking right now, where is he going with this? This cannot be true. And let me tell you, friends, the, the untrue thing is your definition of what God is. So my goal, friends, my goal is, is that we would see that, yeah, God is love. But there is a love that God hates. You see, God created the world, and he said that it is good, but the thing that he said that he hates is the love of the world. 
And we're not talking about you know the uh, we're not talking about the the physical world. We're talking about the social constructs of the world that focus on self indulgence rather than Christ exaltation. That focus on self indulgence and sin rather than rather than the living word, which is Christ. My goal is to explain how can that be? How can God be love, but there be a love that God hates? What are some examples? of some love that God hates, and what is the end of that? It's my goal tonight. So first thing I want to get to is there is a, go- a love that God hates, and God is love, then how can God hate love? My first point. Verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Text is clear, friends. There is a love in the world that we show when we do not love God. There, there's a love of the world that God hates. And you might say, well, what about sin? Does that mean if, if I have sin in my life, does that mean that I, I love the world and I don't love the Lord? No, no, no. That's, that's, see, that's, that's the, when context comes into play. Right? Like just because I have a sin in my life does not mean that I'm in love with the world and not in love with the Lord. That what we're going to talk about tonight is going to show you the biblical definition of this love that the Lord hates, a love for the world. And just because you have a, a, a sin in your life that you're dealing with does not mean that that is that case. What I'm talking about is a person who is in, in, infatuated with the world. Context is key. Now let me explain. If I told Darren, my wife, if I told her, hey, I got to get some grease today, right? And then that afternoon, she went online and she bought a trip for us to go to Greece. You see the problem there? They sound the same, have the same pronunciation, they ain't spelled the same, and they don't mean the same thing, and they definitely don't cost the same, right? I needed some grease to, to, you know, cook biscuits or something, and she went and bought a $3,000 trip to Greece. Now, the funny thing is I could see something like that happening, but the reality is is the context gives me the key behind the statement. And the context of this scripture tells me exactly what it means when God has a love that he hates. It's not just because I have a sin in my life. Let's see what the context is behind the scripture. John says, he tells us that there is a love that God hates. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What he's saying is is there's a love for this world that represents somebody who does not love the Lord. They love the world and do not love the Lord. This is not a, a, a Christian who struggles with sin. This is a person who is head first into sin and could care less what it does towards God. Okay? So let's see how the context tells us that. John says, if you love the world, and the word that he means there, friends, is the word agape. There, there's several different words for love in the New Testament. And this word agape, stay with me, because this whole sermon, if you don't get this first little point right here, this whole sermon doesn't make sense. It, the, the word agape is a, a love that's sacrificial. Okay, it is to sacrifice something for something else. Jesus showed us agape love because he sacrificed himself, perfect, holy, blameless for imperfect, unholy people. Does that make sense? All right. So the word agape means a sacrificial love. So what is John saying here? He's saying if if you love the world, if you agape the world, you don't have the love of the Father, the agape love of the Father in you. 
What he's saying is, is, is this, if, if you are part of this crew, it's not a Christian that struggles with sin. It is someone, friends, who has sacrificed a relationship with God to pursue a relationship with sin. They have sacrificed a relationship with the Lord to pursue a relationship with sin. They sacrificed God for their own self-indulgence. That's a big difference than a Christian who's struggling with sin. This is a person who is without Christ. And John is telling us that, man, this love that God hates is the love that people sacrifice a relationship with the Lord so they can have a relationship with sin. This is a person who pursues self-pleasure without any regret over how that might make God feel. Listen, friends, you don't think the Lord anguishes over the fact that the creation that he made would specifically and intentionally choose a life of sin that would lead to death, hell, and the grave over a life of victory with Christ absolute anguish but a person who pursues and sacrifices a relationship with the lord for a relationship with that kind of sin so yes god is love but there is a love that god hates and we are told that if we know god we need to imitate god and god tells us in romans 12 that we are to love what's good right and the second part of that verse is to abhor what is evil to hate what is evil So he's given us this. Yes, God is love, but he's also holy, friends. And if he is holy, then that means he must despise unholiness, that he must have a disgust for unholiness. And so, friends, we see that, yeah, God is love, but God hates the love that sacrifices himself for self-indulgence. And so what we can see next, friends, is that, yeah, there is a love that God hates, and he's totally righteous in doing that. But the second thing is is that John gives us some specific things to show, are we part of these categories that sacrifice the relationship with God for self-indulgence? And it's evidence of the love that God hates. Evidence of the love that God hates. Verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. So we know that there is a love that God hates, and this love is a love for the world that has a passion for the world rather than a passion for God. Friends, I I just wanted to sit for a second. When's the last time we had passion for God? Do we need to wait for summer camp before we say, Lord, you're worthy of my praise do we need to wait before we get to d now before we say lord you're worthy of my praise or can i be passionate here when's the last time we had the same amount of passion for god that we did on friday nights man when's the last time we had the same passion for god that we did for another person who's going to fail you tonight or tomorrow and i mean i know that's harsh (laughs) but man a, a heart that is zealous for god is what god desires a heart that sees who he really is and and says, Lord, this world is nothing in comparison to who you are, so I'm going to give you my all. Man, imagine if there were 70 of us doing that. They said, screw what everybody thinks. Maybe that's not appropriate, but I don't care. (laughs) I'm pursuing the Lord. A passion for God that's more than a passion for this world. 
So the question is, or what are some examples of this love that sacrifices God for the world? And, and friends, John gives us three of them. He gives us three evidences that, that we see that are sacrifices of God for the world. And the first of those is, is the lust of the flesh. Well, our, our, our scripture says the desires of the flesh. The old, old new, new uh, King James Version says it's the lust of the flesh. See, this is, this is the lust of the flesh is this bodily, this desire for bodily pleasure. That it consists of sinful lifestyles that that choose that choose a temporary false fulfillment, false joy over real eternal fulfillment, and we see this all the way from 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 the very beginning of time, friends. Even if you don't know anything about Scripture, you probably have heard of the people called Adam and Eve. The the very beginning of time, we see Eve in the garden, and what does she do? She sacrificed communion with the Lord for an apple. For temporary pleasure, she sacrificed eternal joy. And we do the same thing. How does this play out for me and for you? Is it, you know, this bodily pleasure that we're seeking out? Is it, is it sex? Is it getting drunk all the time? Is it, is it drugs? Is it eating? What is it? What are we sacrificing God for? Or what are we saying that we, we're not me saying it with our, our lips, but we're saying it with our heart when we say this is more important than. When, when we are Christians, I'm talking to Christians here, right? When we are Christian and we know God has called us to live a life uh, that is different than the rest of the world, but when we look at ourselves and ourself looks just like the world, what are we sacrificing God for? And I'm talking to me too, friends. So this desire for temporary bodily pleasure uh, is something that we can find now. And look, when I when, when I um first became a Christian, I, I I finally had the taste of what it was like to do something wrong and then immediately regret it. And friends, if that's you and you have that life, then I would count that a count that as a blessing. But if if you are taking part in this bodily pleasure just so you can have some temporary joy, let me just ask you, what do you think we're sacrificing for that? Because there is a sacrifice. The second thing that John tells us in regards to uh, what there is um, evidence of, of, of the love that God hates is that there is a lust of the eyes. Our, our scripture says it's a desire of the eyes. See, the lust of the eyes has something to do with what you desire but do not have. This is big in our, our society, friends. I want you to think back in the Gospels, uh, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you don't know too much about the Bible, let me tell you real quick. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, are the story of the life of Jesus Christ here on earth, right? He always has existed, always will exist, but that was the story of his life here on earth. And, and in the Gospels, the Bible tells us that, that Jesus is led into the wilderness, Right? to be tempted. And he went 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. And the Bible says that the devil tempted him three times. And one of those times, he took him up on top of a high mountain and he told him to look out upon everything that he sees. And he saw all that was there. And the devil told him, he said, look, all of this is yours. All of this is yours. All you have to do is bow down to me. 
All you have to do is bow down to me. You see, he was trying to tempt him in the lust of his eyes. Look at what you could have if you just bow down to me. And well, Scripture tells us that 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 uh, the Jesus told the, the enemy, the devil, he said, hey, thou shalt not tempt the Lord. But we oftentimes are tempted with these things that we see in our life, the things that are on social media, the things that, hey, they have that and that looks nice, and they put their life together, and we say, well, if I just had that... And I want to just ask us, what are we bowing down to the enemy for for that? How, why are we bowing down to the enemy so we can have what looks to be a real life, but it's actually the fakest life possible? If I just had those purses, if I just had that property, if I just had you know, that life, if I just had that guy, if I just had that girl, then things would be good. Friends, you would be the same person you are now just with something else. And that's because we keep seeking. It's, 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 it's our human sinful nature to seek to fulfill ourselves with something that could never fulfill us. And friends, I just want to stand on the mountaintop with you and say, man, don't bow down to the enemy. That purse is not going to give you what your heart's desiring. That guy is not going to give you what your heart is searching for. That girl is not going to give you what you're desiring in your heart. Look, if, 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 if our eyes are on the things of the world and they can't be on the Lord, and let me tell you, friends, our feet follow where our eyes go first. And if my eyes are on the things of this world, then I'm not following Christ. If my eyes are on the things of the world, then I'm going to follow the world. Friends, take your eyes off of Instagram, put them on the Lord, or whatever you use. The last thing that he says is that there is a lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and a pride of life. The pride of life is this category of worldliness, uh, the last category of worldliness that John gives us, which is an evidence uh, of this of this um, thing in which we're talking about tonight, this, this love that God hates, this love for the world, and this pride of life is a stumbling block. The Bible tells us that pride comes before the fall. It's this stumbling block in our life. When, when we think of ourselves so highly, friends, the, the byproduct of that is thinking of God lowly. Uh, Tozer, you've heard me say it. A.W. Tozer said, what we think when we think about God is the single most important thing about us. But when we think of ourselves as so highly, the byproduct of that is we think of God lowly and we disrespect and put down other people as a byproduct of that. We, we have this pride stoked up in us, and we think of ourselves so highly, and we think of everybody else so lowly, and we demean other people as a byproduct of that. Same thing happened in the beginning of time. Eve in the garden, tempted by the enemy. What did the enemy tell her? Hey, eat this fruit, and what would the response be? And you will be like God. Eat this fruit, and you will be like God. He tempted her in the pride of life. To be like God. See, the heart of pride is the desire to feel superior to other people, to make yourself like God. To be superior to other people and to make yourself like God. And this is the polar opposite of what the Bible teaches, friends. The Bible told us that all of the laws of the Lord are wrapped up in two things. Love God, love people, right? And I can tell you right now, man, when we think of ourselves as so highly that we ought to, there is no chance that we are going to love God and love other people. As a matter of fact, what we will do is love ourselves too much. We will hate God and we will demean other people. 
But what we need to do, friends, is not to fill ourselves with ourselves. We need to empty ourselves of ourselves. We need to take the pride that boasts upon ourselves and shove it down. The, the question I'm thinking of you is, and, and, and me is, what do we do when somebody walks by me that don't look like me, don't act like me, don't talk like me, don't come from the same background as me, don't look the same color as me? Do I talk down to them? Do I make fun of them? Do I talk to my friends about how weird they are? Why? Because I think of myself as too highly than I ought to. And then the byproduct of that is I'm not close with the Lord. And I demean them. If that's you tonight, friend, maybe you're caught up in the pride of life. See, there is a love that God hates, friends. It's a love for this world that's manifested in the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And the Bible tells us, and I'm closing with this third point, that there is an end to this. Verse 17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Proverbs says this, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end is death. In the end is death. See, the end will be categorized like it is now, friends. And the world has categorized us in all the wrong ways. But remember, I started this sermon off by telling you that there is only one truth, correct? That truth is what God's word says. And the, and, and the culture might try to categorize you in all other ways. Race, sex, uh, sexuality, uh, ethnicity, where your nationality is, your political uh, ideologies. Are you a, for Trump or Biden or all of that nonsensical stuff? But let me tell you, friends, there is only one, two categories that the Bible gives us. And it's not race. That, friends, there is only one race. It's the human race. And we're all just different shades of one color skin. The reality is, friends, that the Bible separates us into two categories. Those who believe and those who do not believe. Those who are saved and those who are not saved. Those who are sons and daughters and those who are orphans. The Bible separates us by two different categories. And friends, the end of all time will be those two categories. The end of my life, I will not be separated by short white. <laughs> I will be separated as a son of the Most High God. I will be separated as an heir to Christ. And so, friends, there is an end. And in the end, there is only two categories of separation and believers will find their end and they will find it abiding with God abiding in heaven with the Lord friends but I know this is not something that sounds fun to hear but it's the truth but unbelievers unbelievers will also go somewhere and they will spend an eternity just like believers will spend an eternity in heaven with the Lord unbelievers will spend an eternity apart from the Lord in separation, conscious of that place. Temporary self-indulgence is a way of life that seems right to some, but friends, the end is death. J.C. Ryle said this. He said this about the end of life on earth. He said, if you die without conversion to God, without repentance and without faith, your funeral will only be the funeral of a lost soul. 
you had better never been born. And he continued and said, if the sheep are with the shepherd, if the members are with the head, if the children of Christ's family are with him who loved them and carried them all the days of their pilgrimage, then all must be well, all must be right. I've read in that book the same story of this daughter talking to her mother, and the mother's talking to the daughter. And I'm finishing with this story, so stay with me, friends. The mother's talking to the daughter, and she's talking about all the delights of heaven. And she's saying that there's no pain and no tears, friends. And she's talking about how heaven will be a place where she is uh, brought back together with her brothers and her sisters that went before her. And, And she's talking about all these good things about heaven and then the daughter said one more thing there's something better than that and the mom said what and she said it's a place where christ is friend heaven isn't a place for people who are scared of hell heaven is a place for people who love god and hell is a place for people who love the world and our bible's very clear that in the end Those who love the world will find themselves separated from Christ. And those who love the Lord will find themselves dwelling forever with him. There is a love that the Lord hates, friends. And it's a love for this world. My desire to know with you is have you sacrificed a relationship with God so that you could have a relationship with this world?